touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and I know you're all dying to hear the exciting conclusion of the 10 obstacles of the connected car. And that is why I have brought Scott Benjamin back here to introduce the show again because the episode ran way too long so we had to split it into two. We Hi, are, Scott. We are back. Hello, Jonathan. We, uh, we had a lot to say and, uh, man, there's still a lot more to get to here and some, some interesting stuff I think is coming on, you know, coming up soon. Yeah, let's get right to it. Well, the next one, I really want to hear your, your thoughts on this one because this was the one that I thought, well, if there's a, if there's a item on this list that Scott's gonna, have something to say. It's going to be this one. Number five was uh, connected cars will likely be shared cars. Ooh. So Forbes is actually talking about the nature of car ownership itself changing and that there's a move to shared ownership models like uh, like Zipcar, the Zipcar service, where you don't actually own a vehicle. You have a, a you know, you you subscribe to a service where you have access to vehicles. But at the end of the day, you turn that back over to the service and then you go on your merry little way. And Forbes points out that this there will be new business opportunities with connected cars, such as customer service and power management for electric vehicles. I don't really see how that fits in with the... It almost feels like that was something they, they felt, this also is a thing that we need to put somewhere, and it doesn't really fit here, but it doesn't fit anywhere else either, so we're just going to throw it in here. Maybe. But that's, uh, that's kind of what I felt, too. And and I'll tell you what my overall impression of shared cars, you know, I'm not one for public transportation. Right. Kind of fits with being the car guy right yeah, here, right? You know. I mean, I, I like my own personal vehicle. And I like to be in my own personal space. And uh, I'm just not one for the train or the bus or any of that. Right. I understand. I understand its purpose, and I know it, it fits well here in the city, but um, I'm just not that guy. Right. And so my, my idea of, of automakers, you know, they have to respond. I mean, I understand why they do it. I, I get it. But they're kind of jumping on this model that was built or based on uh, the bicycle sharing programs that were mm-hmm. so popular. And that's right. exactly what they're, they're saying. Well, it worked for for bicycles. Why not make this work for cars? And there's a lot of reasons why car sharing has its problems. I mean, I, there's a oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think I think if you look at it from a global standpoint, I could be understand Forbes's point a little more mm-hmm. in that. I could see certain uh, certain cultures in Europe, for example, uh, taking to the shared car model more easily than the United States. But in the U.S. in general, and specifically the southeast, specifically the city of Atlanta, we car culture is a big part of our identity. Yeah. Right. Car ownership is a big part of who we are. Now, you might live someplace like New York City, where the. Uh, the population density, the uh, public transportation uh, options and other things like just the scarcity of resources for land, for parking, mean that owning a car there might not make sense for you. If you live in Atlanta and you don't have a car, it's really hard to get around. And there are a lot of cities in the United States that are like that. And I just uh, to me, I think saying that car ownership is going toward this share car model is being a little generous. I don't think that's the case universally. All right. Well, car makers are doing this. I'm going to surprise you a little bit here at the end with the last thing that I want to mention on this. But um, they are doing this already. I mean, there's the BMW Drive Now program. There's the Mercedes-Benz Car to Go program, which uh, is like car, the, the number two go program. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that with their smart car platform. So they're not, it's not the full-size Mercedes that they're doing it with. 
of course. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, programs like this, I mean, they can kind of alienate drivers who also like to drive their own cars. So there's there's another solution here that I think is maybe the best one. And this is the best one I've heard of so far. This is the program from Audi. It's Audi Solution. I don't know if it actually has a name. It's just kind of the Audi car sharing program. Mm-hmm. And this is one that is different than from the others in that you pay one monthly fee or one one price. And I don't know if it's monthly or yearly or whatever, but um, it's kind of like a lease cost would be your know, price would be mm-hmm. for a vehicle, a flat rate. And then you have your choice of three different vehicles at any time you want. And the way it works is that let's say that you you choose from like an A1 or a TT for for city use, you mm-hmm. know, something that you can, you know, commute in economically, right? Understand. And uh then maybe on the weekend or something you need to um, you know, go out into the country for a, a trip through uh, you know, wine country or wherever. Sure. And you want to rent a convertible. We well, don't have to rent the convertible. You already have access to it through this uh through this Audi car sharing thing. So you just you know, notify them you're going to pick up this model there. You're going to drop off the other one that you have. And then, uh, you know, later on, you've got some friends that want to go to the movies or something. You can pick up a, uh, a Q5 crossover from them and uh, you can take five or seven of your friends out to the movies. Huh. Um, so you get your choice of three different vehicles at in any way you want throughout the month or the year or however you want to break it down. Um, and it's just a way of, you know, you, you drop it off, you pick up what you need, and then you drop that off again and pick up what you need. And it's just this continuous cycle. I suppose there's going to be some, you know, uh, we don't have that available until, you know, Sunday type right. uh, situations. But um, for the most part, you're able to choose the vehicle that you want because they know that, let's say you lease a car and you're kind of, you're tied to that. Then if you want to lease an economical A1 or TT or something like that. There's nowhere to haul anything, mm-hmm. but you may need that for uh, for move. You know, helping a friend move, you may need to get a crossover or a, a full size vehicle. Right. So it, it really opens up this uh, this this area that uh, no other auto manufacturer is doing that. I mean, you could always rent a vehicle like sure. that, of course. You know, any anywhere you could do that, budget or Hertz or whoever. But um, this is through a manufacturer, and it's totally different. It's interesting to me, and it may also be that there's some generational differences as well, right? Like that. That as we see the younger generations come up, that their idea of of ownership is different from the previous generation. So it could very well be that I'm I'm starting to get again to that age where I start getting set in certain expectations, and when those are are subverted, I get antsy. Well, the uh, the idea of sharing a car gives me hives. Yeah, well, and it could literally do that too. Uh, the next one on our that's, list. That's gross. <laughs> you, know, you know, sometimes we get, get a little dirty here on yeah. tech stuff. Um, we, the next one is, uh, the, the question about built in or brought in connections. Okay. Which is a great debate. And we kind of touched on this earlier with the idea of the, uh, auto manufacturers partnering with mobile companies. Okay. Um, the idea here being, is the connection built into the car itself or is the car a conduit uh, that connects to your personal mobile device. So if you have a smartphone, you maybe through Bluetooth connect to your car and essentially your smartphone is the thing that's providing all the apps, the connectivity, all mm-hmm. that. Your car is essentially a user interface and display that can tap into that stuff. So what we have here is a hardware issue. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I understand that. Now, also, I want to say that I don't think this is a problem, really. It's not an obstacle. I think this is just the automakers trying to catch up with what's going on because right. that five year cycle or, you know, close to it that we were talking about versus 
uh, you know, the uh, the software that's updated for our phones and all the apps that we can bring into our cars now, mm-hmm. that is so fast. I mean, it's daily. That you yeah. can come up with a, with new apps. How do auto manufacturers keep up with that, being able to allow their systems to interact with that? It just doesn't work that way. Um, so I think it's just happening so fast right now that, that they're just trying to catch up. Um, it, the the thing, you know, we should probably mention here is that there there are some uh, programs or, or systems in the work. I don't know how to describe what these things are, but um, like Apple CarPlay. Yeah. Um, and there's also the Open Automotive Alliance that we should probably talk about just sure. for a minute. So, so Apple CarPlay, how do you understand Apple CarPlay? So Apple CarPlay is a uh, system that would tie in with an iOS device, an Apple phone, mm-hmm. iPhone. Um, and so it's it's the thing that allows you to uh, connect directly to iOS. So your phone is providing the power. It's providing the not not literally the power, but the connectivity. Mm-hmm. But your car's controls are mapped to commands to your phone. So let's say that you wanted to have your music streaming through the uh, the the phone, then your car control, like if you hit fast forward, it's mapped to the control on your iPhone that would be fast forward through that song. Mm-hmm. So really, that's just a simple, this button needs to be mapped to this function kind of thing. Okay. Beyond that, it, is, it brings things like uh, iPhone apps into the cabin of a car. Uh, I assume it's got a limitation on those because you probably don't want the driver of the vehicle playing Angry Birds as they're speeding down the highway. But... Things like navigation or notifications, that sort of stuff gets pulled in. Okay, and then there's the Open Automotive Alliance, which is just kind of the Android answer to that whole thing, right? Right, and that could be either a bought-in or brought-in system. Like, you could have a car manufactured that is essentially, if you think about it, think about that entertainment guidance system, whatever. Think of that as just a glorified smartphone, but it's in the form factor of an entertainment system in your car. Okay, I got it. Now, there's a few big manufacturers that have already joined the Open Automotive Alliance. There's Toyota, Audi, BMW, Kia, and I think more have joined. I just don't have the updated notes on what, sure. you know who's there. Now, one thing that I think we should just touch on here is that this also does it or does it not require the auto manufacturer to kind of create the um, the ways for the 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 user to interact with the, with these devices. So um, doesn't that change the way they design interiors or the interface of, of um, uh, the vehicle itself? I mean, sure. so wouldn't it, I guess it would be beneficial for them to, um, to, to kind of work on controls that are not universal because that would be impossible between right. manufacturers, but um, maybe for a particular manufacturer, maybe like mm. for Toyota, that they would design a um, a user interface that would remain constant for, I don't know, how, how long should they leave it remain constant? Like maybe five years um, without changing every model year so that it, it's something that you can you can get in and you know where the buttons are, you know what everything does, you know where, what every feature and function is just without even looking. I mean, this, this is a great point you're bringing up, Scott, because uh, these operating systems update on a yearly basis, sometimes more than once a year. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll get updates to an operating system, and sometimes those updates dramatically change the way the user interface looks. Now, normally the stuff that you have is more or less in the same place as it was before the update happened, uh, because the you know Google and Apple both know that if you mess with an operating system too much, you're going to lose your customer base. You want to make it useful. You want to make it uh, accessible. You want to make it engaging. 
but you don't want to make so many changes that no one knows where their stuff is anymore. That would be a much bigger problem inside a car, as you point out. So if you have your car connected to a specific type of smartphone, how do you make sure that the experience in the car remains consistent even as the smartphone you're using is becoming more and more sophisticated. Yeah. And how do you not alienate your, your driver who, who says, why is this such an amazing experience when I use it on my phone, but it feels like a dumbed down experience when I'm in my car? And to take this to the, to, to another level, I guess, is that, you know, the, the, the location of the buttons, the location right. of, uh, you know, everything that you, you access as a driver that you want, you want to remain um, focused on the road, of course. Yep. You want to be. You, you don't want to have to hunt around for the for the one button you need. Exactly right. So I've heard that uh, manufacturers. And this kind of comes from that popular science article as well. Um, that they're looking to gaming controllers, sure, as inspiration yeah. for, for automotive interiors, and that makes perfect sense because. You know, how long does it take you really to learn the buttons of a gaming controller? It doesn't right. take that long. Yeah, I mean, once you know what what button maps to what command, sure. then it, you adapt to it very quickly. Sure. I mean, I know it changes between game, you know, from game to game, but that can also be extrapolated to what we're talking about here as well. But, sure. But you know where that button is. You know where the A button is. You know where the up and down buttons are. Yeah. If they could do that for automobiles and then... Sure, you have to learn that one time. You have to learn that, you know, all the features and or I'm sorry, all the uh, the buttons and functions and everything. But once you know that, then it's almost like sitting down at a keyboard, you know, and you don't have to look when you type. Right. Um, it's that similar experience, you know, that, well, I know how to do that. They've changed. They may have changed what I'm accessing, but I know how to get there. Right. Well, and there's some other issues here. I think that this is truly one of the, the real obstacles to the connected car, mm -hmm. because if you go with a built in system. Then the car manufacturers have to figure out the best way to create a user interface, mm -hmm. right? They have to design that user interface. One of the attractive things about going with the brought in connection where you're relying upon someone like Apple or Google to provide the operating system is that they've been working on that for years. They're experts at these operating systems and user interfaces and how to make it, um, uh, intuitive and engaging and useful. They, the car manufacturers would have to reinvent the wheel. They'd have to be coming at this from a totally new perspective, as opposed to relying upon the expertise of companies that have made, you know, the reason why the Android phone and iOS are the dominant smartphones is largely because of the user interface and so, the experience. So the R and D is already done for them. Right. They just kind of uh, just say, we're going to allow you access to our vehicle, uh, make it work. Now, the challenge with that is which one do you pick? Do you pick iOS or do you pick Android? And if you try to create a system that can work with both, because you could have a Bluetooth connected system that works with both phones. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about something where you're you're accessing apps and you are trying to load in different types of software, then you that makes it a lot harder because iOS and Android work so differently that the layout, the display for certain apps could be very different, which means that if you have one phone, it might be an ideal experience. But if you have the other phone, it might not be so ideal. So these are tough questions. Do you do you say, all right, if you have an iPhone, this system works perfectly. And if you have an Android phone, you should get an iPhone. Like, do you do that or do you say, listen, no one's going to be totally happy, but no matter what phone you have, it's going to work with the system to some degree. I mean, it's oh. it's a tough question. 
uh, this next one, uh, number, uh, what is seven. it, number seven? I think we could spend about 10 seconds on this. How about sure. that? And then, uh, because we're already touching on stuff, just this last discussion, it's already touching on stuff from number eight that I want to get into quick. So, sure. um, this is, uh, who will pay for connected car services? Um, well, again, this is, just goes right back to the bundled services, subscriptions, yeah. things like that. I mean, I don't know what more we can really say about I'll, it. Who's I'll tell you who will pay. Well, the driver pays. That's who's going to pay. <laughs> and you know that that is rolled down to us no matter what, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, whether whether it's rolled down into a sticker price where somehow there's been a negotiation between the auto manufacturer and the carrier saying, listen, we're going to build in X amount into the sticker price of this car. You guys get that amount. And then in return, you have perpetual service for that car's system, and then there's no subscription. I don't think that world is going to happen. Mm. I think the world that's going to happen is that there will always be some form of subscription service, and you will have a monthly bill, whether that's something that's added on to your smartphone or it's separate. I think that's what's going to happen. All right. I'm totally uncomfortable with the idea of subscription service for my car. And unfortunately, when you think about a connected car, you have to imagine that a lot of these services are going to be key to the operation of that vehicle in some way. I'm going to be checking out the used car lots yeah. uh, for a long, long time from now. Well, we'll see. Uh, I'm going Scott, to resist. Scott will be driving around the uh, the Studebaker that Fozzie Bear had in the Muppet <laughs> movie. Fight the power. <laughs> All right. So this is the one that uh, I, I will have a question for you on this one. Okay. But uh, this is number eight. How many apps should overloaded drivers be able to access? And this is exactly what we were talking about. How, yeah. But it's more of a, more of a question of like, what's the limit? Because right. people are already distracted. There's so much going on while people are driving. And uh, I know everybody has a different threshold for this. I understand that. I know mm-hmm. that some people, uh, now they shouldn't, but I know some people feel comfortable looking at their phone and texting while they're driving. Now, they shouldn't do it, obviously. No. But some people say, I can do that, no problem. I haven't had a problem yet. Not that I recommend or condone it or anything, but I understand that some people are better at that than others. Other people can't even look in the rearview mirror without swerving out of their lane. Right. That's just the way it is. But mm-hmm. when I think about this, I think about all the stuff that's been added to a driver's kind of uh, not response. It's not really responsibility. It's they're they're electing to do this stuff. So um, when I was younger, I mean, not not much younger. I mean, maybe even ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, uh, you know, there were so many other types of distractions. Of course, some are. are Included now, but like kids in the car or even mm-hmm. adult passengers, too, in some cases. Um, oh, no, I know a few adults who certainly fall into the distraction category. <laughs> Eating in the car, things like that, makeup application in the morning. Here's one. How long has it been since you've seen anybody reading a newspaper in a car? Because that used to be common to see somebody with a newspaper or a novel in front of them. The on last the time wheel. I took a cab in New York City. No kidding. Uh-huh. The cab driver. Cab driver. Oh, yeah. But, but I mean, that was, that was kind of the level of, and now, of course, they're going to look at a Kindle. Or they're going to have their phone out and they're going to be reading that way. But how long has it been since you've seen somebody with a newspaper? I mean, that's not, that's, that's, that's true. I don't know. It's it's something that, uh, the sign of the times, I guess, maybe. Or shaving. I've seen people shaving while they're driving. I've heard of it. Yeah. I've never seen it myself. Elect- electric shaver. Sure, sure. So, yeah, you know, no, you're in a straight razor? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's someone in the back seat actually giving them the shave. Right. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're, their driver car, driver side uh, uh, seat is reclined back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the hot towel and everything. Okay, yeah. no, nothing like that. But my question to you is this. Now, they're talking about, well, will there be a limit of the number of apps that you can you can access? And I don't even know if that's the answer because some apps are more distracting than others, of yeah, course. Yeah, sure. But, but my question for you is, do you feel that drivers are already at their limit now, or do you think that they could actually function well 
if they were given even more distractions? Would they kind of just adapt? Would they evolve to the point where, yeah, I can take on one or two more things, and then later, yeah, I can take on one or two more things and just keep going like that? I think it all depends on the implementation. So, for example, if your connected car can do things like start an Internet radio station, pull up a navigation uh a navigation program to tell you where to go and then also occasionally give you notifications. But let's say that the only thing that you are actually able to see is the navigation mm-hmm. and that the radio stuff is in the background and that the um, notifications are all audio so that you're hearing the, the notification, but you're not reading it. Mm-hmm. I think that would be one way of getting around this where you're not creating even more of a distracting environment. I think there are other ways that you could, if it were like a, a typical smartphone where you might have, an app open and a notification comes out over on top of that and and blocks your view and has you read something, that would be really dangerous. Um, the number thing is interesting to me because not just for the number of apps that could potentially distract the person. I think you could, again, if you're running it in such a way where a lot of stuff is running in the background, that's not as big a deal. But the number is also interesting because if it gives you unlimited ability to download apps to your, to your car, whether it's through your phone or it's something, through a native system on the car itself, that's a security issue. Yeah, who it's decides, a vulnerability issue. Who decides that number? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 100? I mean, well, what, what is and, it? And even even if you've decided a number, if someone has designed a poorly made app, or maybe they've done it on purpose, mm-hmm. where it, uh, it creates a security vulnerability to your car's computer system, that's a big problem. And that kind of goes back again. We sort of talked about that in the self-driving car episode about this idea of a car that can can accept incoming communication from the outside world that's a security thing that you got you've got to consider it mm-hmm. and so that's a that's an unanswered question so i see that as a true obstacle that's a, that's a big problem yeah that's a big problem i don't think it's insurmountable mm-hmm. i think it's something that we can certainly uh uh figure out but it's one of those things that i hope gets figured out in the r&d lab before it ever becomes a, 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 you know, standard in consumer vehicles. So you hope there's not some automotive board at uh, General Motors or something with uh, people that really have never downloaded an app that uh, have decided, uh, well, we're going to limit that to 10 because that seems like a right number. No, I know there's a, there's a boardroom that has a bunch of people. I mean, I've worked for, (laughs) I've worked for people who had me print out their emails. So I know that those folks (laughs) are out there. And I know what you're saying. I mean, it'll be just a mix of the two. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So uh, this next one, I don't know if we could actually talk intelligently about this. <laughs> yeah, maybe we uh, we. Ah, boy, it seems like we've maybe just briefly talked about this in passing in the hallway, maybe <laughs> or something. Number nine is all about self-driving cars, which is interesting because connected car does not necessarily have to have anything to do with self-driving, although we are, like we said, seeing more and more of those elements that are, that are necessary for a self-driving car make their way into our vehicles. But it says self-driving cars will arrive, but not right now. Mm-hmm. And Forbes argues that we'll see more driver assist options and develop in cars, that, uh, but that a truly autonomous self-driving car isn't in the cards yet. I think, Scott, I think you and I both agree that that's true. I don't see that as an obstacle for connected cars, though. No, I don't see it as an obstacle either. I think, again, this is one of the facilitators, I guess, yeah. that you're trying to build towards that. Right. And, uh, and I don't see it as any kind of obstacle, really. Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of different uh, disciplines involved in creating connected cars and self-driving cars that are ultimately converging 
on what is the car of the future. Yeah. But they're they're independent as well. They're not they're not so closely related that if one falls behind, the other one also falls behind. Ah, you know what? This is bring you bring up two points, and this may be this may lead into my Elon Musk uh, bit here. But sure. um, since we've last talked, yeah, uh, since we had the, our our autonomous car episode, and that's not long ago. No, um, this this popular science article came out, and again, it was a real you know eyebrow raiser for me because uh, there's some amazing stuff in there. But they're talking about even moving up autonomous vehicles, truly autonomous vehicles, even. A lot closer than we when we said in that episode. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's the Google car, which I think we talked about. Sure, yeah, we did. Uh, that was a car that was uh, it's designed in uh, Detroit, but you know, built in Detroit, but then uh, goes to Mountain View to be outfitted with all the Google driving technology, self driving technology. Doesn't have steering wheel, doesn't have pedals, anything like that. Um, pretty futuristic. We'll see how that goes, but it's right now just being developed in or, or tested in te- um, more like a test track area. Really, it's a mm-hmm. secured area. Um, not on city streets like their other self-driving vehicles right, are. Right, the ones that are just a converted Prius. Uh, Prius. Most of oh, them are Prius. By the way, the bad news about those cars, yeah, that uh, that stuff that they outfit it with, the gear, yeah. is like $75,000 yeah. per vehicle. Yeah, often the gear is way more expensive than the car. Well, yeah, it's, it's that $75,000 plus the price of the car. Yeah. So uh, that's expensive stuff. I did see one of those when I was out in California. No kidding. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, I, I was visiting the Google campus. So. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a little better chance yeah. then, right? It was like fish in a barrel. Right. All right. Um, and then Nissan is talking about doing an autonomous. Leaf. Mercedes-Benz is now saying the end of the decade, and I don't remember if we said that or not for the intelligent drive system. Um, of course, Toyota, BMW, GM, they all have something in the works. And then, of course, GM's uh, semi-automated connected car uh, would be the Super Cruise system. Mm-hmm. And that's coming out in the 2017 Cadillac, and I think we mentioned that one. Yep. Yep. But they are saying that the development time of all this is going to be really, really pushed up. Would you say it's accelerated? Uh, <laughs> I would say it's accelerated. All right. Is that a, is that a pun? A little bit of one. Oh, okay. Tiny, tiny pun. Yeah, well, yeah. it worked. I thought, I thought I'd fit one in before we were done. <laughs> it worked. Hey, uh, one last thing, and I, I, I don't know where to put this, so maybe this is where it goes. Okay. Um, Elon Musk, you know, Tesla Motors, and, yep. you know, we've talked about that too, right? The car is the, as a platform. And mm-hmm. again, I know we've talked about platforms throughout here, so I'm trying to find a spot to put this in because this is impressive to me. The overall plan that he has, and I don't think a lot of people really know what the overall goal was, because recently, you know, he opened up all of his patents relating to uh, the Tesla electric car technology for anybody to use, right? Wow. And said, you're able to, you know, anybody can use all of my stuff. It's fine. This is the only way that we're going to get rapid innovation is by creating this this open source development type of system, right? Mm-hmm. So he's allowing that, and everybody says, "Well, that's fantastic! What a what a uh, what a benevolent gesture!" Right? You know, this is amazing that you're doing this, but it's a very very savvy business decision that he's made here because, mm-hmm. um, you know, not only does it make his product grow that much faster. You know, he can focus on other things as well. And he's also, you know, with, with the Tesla as, Model S, um, he's actually gaining capital enough to build that gigafactory that right. he's talking about in Nevada. I'm sure you've talked about or maybe read about that, right? Right. Um, there's it's the factory that's mainly uh, focused on building things like batteries. Yeah, his electric yeah. car batteries, right? Yeah. And it's, it's this huge facility in Nevada. Um, but here's the thing. Traditional automakers are, are kind of like doing this by piecemeal. They're, sure. they're, they're, you know, working Of course, they got the Volt and they've got the Leaf and they've got other. Right. It might be one model in the fleet of cars that they offer. Exactly right. So they've got these little bits and pieces. But the thing is, they're lacking infrastructure. Mm-hmm. 
he is behind the scenes and not really behind the scenes, but he's got charging stations. He's got, you know, these this battery factory that's coming out. He's got this platform with the Model S that's very successful. Essentially, what you're saying is he's defining the standard and then everyone else will end up following his the standard he has set. You're precisely right. And it's not only that they're following it, but he owns it. He's going to lease it to other manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing, you know, the Chevy Volt and, you know, they're going to advance a little bit, but they're not really focused on just that. He's focused just on electric vehicles, on, mm-hmm. on the Tesla. And with the infrastructure that he's building with these charging stations and the battery swaps and everything else, no other auto manufacturer is doing that. If he can develop a, an infrastructure that they buy into and say, that's the way we want to go, this guy is going to be a multi-trillionaire. Yeah. He's going to rule the world. Well, he could, he could define what the standard is for multiple things. Like if you, if you extend this to the connected car and he identifies the quote unquote ideal approach, whether it's truly ideal or not, if he does that, then, you know, there's, there's a double-edged sword here. One edge of it is that everything becomes much more simple because the options are all reduced down to a single kind of implementation. The other side of that, obviously, is that you don't have the choice that you would have if there were multiple implementations of the connected car. But, uh, Scott, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Are you familiar with the idea that if you present someone 20 options, they have a lot more trouble uh, uh, picking one if you give them three options, even if they're favorites on that list of 20 aren't on that list of three, they feel better about making that choice of three than they do with 20. Do you know where I think this came up in our conversations? You and I have talked about this. Yeah. yeah it's a, kind of an embarrassing example, right? Okay. Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, that's uh, the one we talked about. Their menu. Yeah, you go, to the, you go to the Cheesecake Factory and it's a 400-page menu. It's a little hard to yeah. decide. And then when you get something, you're like, oh, maybe I should have tried the, the you know, right. the, uh, whatever it was. But if you go someplace where there's, you know, eight things on the menu and you might think, well, there's only a couple things here I want to try and eat. You probably feel better about your choice because you don't have as much, you know, that that post-decision regret. Oh, that psychology absolutely is true for automobiles as well. And and honestly, you know, th- if this works out for him, if this if this platform idea, if they start, mm-hmm. if other big manufacturers start to buy his platform and say, yeah, we want our vehicle to be built on your chassis with your batteries. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable how much money this guy is going to make with this. It was was such a great decision to allow everybody else to build on his platform. Scott, the guy's got to get to Mars somehow. (laughs) And he will. It's not going to be cheap. And he will. I just thought that was a brilliant move, and uh, I think we're getting towards the end here. Yeah, here's the last one I think is really another non-entry on this list. In fact, I don't understand how this is uh, an obstacle. The tenth one was a connected lifestyle is a given. Uh, that connected cars are a necessity because of factors like you have an emerging demand for safer vehicles. So you have, you know, you have that demand for things like that e-call system we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. And also that we have a population of people who are used to being connected all the time and they don't want to give that up just because they happen to be getting behind the wheel of a car. Honestly, I don't know how to even respond to this. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a challenge. It's not a challenge, but I, I can tell you a challenge in just a minute if you want. But I sure. mean, th- but to me, of course, a connected lifestyle is a given. I mean, that's the way we're going. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's clear that it's not going to go backwards, right? I mean, we're not going to, we're not going to devolve into, uh, you know, going back to the flip phones that I mentioned before, um, or the bag phones or whatever. You're not going to go backwards in, you know, as far as technology is concerned. Mm-hmm. And cars are not going to do anything the same. Um, they're going to continue to advance. I mean, look at, look at the inside. That's, I believe that's the inside of a Tesla that we're looking at there. That yeah. photo. 
that's mostly screen. I mean, yeah. it's mostly touchscreen inside this vehicle. It's it's like you're again, you're it's like you're getting into a spaceship or something. It's it's totally different from the experience that you had in a car just five years ago. Sure. Um, it's it's advancing very quickly, and uh, and I I guess we should have just embrace it. Um, I mean, it's coming whether we want it or not, right? Yeah, I mean, right. that's just it. It is a fact, and. Again, I don't think of that as a, an, you know, a, the list was called 10 obstacles to a connected car. There's no way that saying that connectivity is a necessity is an obstacle. But again, it's probably one of those things where the list was written already and then someone had to figure out what to name it. Possibly. We don't mean to be disparaging to the article or anything no. like that. I mean, it's a good, it's a good list. It's a good, uh, you know, thought starter. Well, I and guess, obviously or, or... we've had a, an incredible conversation on it. Sure. So it, it, it certainly, I think was a well, uh, it was it was put together well. It had uh, interesting descriptions on each one. Um, I just think the headline was misleading. Uh, I think so too. You're probably I've, right. I've now. written a few misleading headlines in my yeah, time. Well, so. you have to do what you have to yeah, do. Yeah, you you know, got to get clicks. <laughs> so I'll tell you the one obstacle that I do think is uh, that wasn't is, on the list. Uh, well, it it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, we're talking about autonomous cars yeah. and autonomous features. I've read this in uh, oh boy again from this article. I'm gonna you know I'm just gonna tell you the name of this article because I think it's fascinating. It's from a popular mechanics mechanics article, and it's called 10 Ways the Car is Becoming More Than a Vehicle. And it's from um, early October of this year, so from 2014. And in that article, they stated that by 2025, autonomous features, now that's just the stuff that allows us to, uh, you know, go hands-free and, um, you know, the car will park itself, et cetera. Autonomous features alone will add about $7,000 to a typical car sticker price mm. by 2025. Can you believe that? $7,000 just for the autonomous features alone. And we're already talking about, you know, a, a basic, um, standard, typical sedan here in the United States is something like, it's close to $32,000. Right. Now. That's way, way out of line with what it should be as far as inflation goes. I've, I've done the numbers and we can have another whole conversation about that, but, um, it, it should be, according to my calculation, mm. Jonathan, about $10,000 less. If, that's if everything is a lot of, uh, that's a huge, that's a huge uh, uh, cap on if, top of it. If everything remains constant from, you know, like I'm going back to the 1970s or whatever. Sure, but uh, sure. but I know that the reason is because of advanced features like this. I mean, mm-hmm. all the technology, electronics, et cetera. But in 2025, to add 7,000 to a typical car, I mean, that, that's incredible to me. Yeah. That, that puts yeah. it out of reach for a lot of people. So, so it, ultimately, the biggest challenge of the connected car could be the price tag. Definitely, because we're talking about very advanced, uh, complicated electronics and, and the engineering and, you know, just the R&D that goes into creating that. The automakers are, of course, going to have to roll that cost over to us, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you can't expect any business to just eat the R&D costs. Of, of course not. They won't be in business any right. longer. They so would just be selling the same thing over and over again now, because there'd be no way to, to afford making anything new. But now maybe, maybe, just maybe, and I, I don't know, I don't see it happening this way recently, but but maybe the cost will come down as production levels go up, as numbers mm-hmm. go up, mm-hmm. it becomes cheaper to build that product, and maybe they'll come down, but uh, we haven't seen that in, it seems like, the last 15 years yep. in cars. Well, especially when you look at things like, like smartphones, right? The smartphone price for a brand new smartphone stays fairly consistent. I mean, if you're looking at the, the base price of mm-hmm. one, if you're not getting a subsidized model... It has been, remained fairly consistent. And the part of that is that even though the, there are improvements in manufacturing, we are, they're still getting more sophisticated over time. And that sophistication keeps that price being pretty steady. So we're not seeing prices fall. Uh, I mean, you could get a cheaper phone that's an older one or, or less sophisticated one, but 
I think that's going to be, I think you're right. I think that's going to be a real issue. By the way, if you guys want to check out the article we've been talking about this whole time, the Forbes one, that one's called 10 Obstacles for Connected Cars. It's at Forbes.com. You can check that out. It is, like I said, it's a great list, and we, we've gone through point by point to kind of discuss it. But, uh, of course, Forbes makes their own points in there that you might want to check out and, and sure. um, see the the pictures they put together, too, that, that illustrate their ideas. Now, give yourself at least a minute and a half to read it because it is quite lengthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a quick read, but it was definitely great fodder for our podcast. So I appreciate it. And Scott, thank you so much for agreeing to be on again. I, oh, I appreciate being asked again. It was, uh, it was a privilege because, um, honestly, this is a lot of fun when we come in here to do this because uh, it's kind of a new take on things. You know, Ben and I have our own kind of, uh, rhythm going and, sure. and you and I have a different kind of rhythm going. Yeah. This is, uh, this is fun. I like doing this. So, this is, uh, this is what it's like for me for every, Every episode now. Well, I I, <laughs> I really really do appreciate it. So thanks for asking me. And so Scott, where can people find you? Uh boy, carstuffshow.com. That's uh, is probably the best place to go. That's our uh, that's our stuff site. Yeah, uh, we're on Facebook, Carstuff HSW, and sure. uh, um, Twitter, Facebook. You know, the same. Yeah, and and you and Ben have been doing some great work. Like the the videos you guys do. I know you guys are working super hard whenever they have one of the big uh, car gatherings that are near here where our office is. At working out on the weekend, putting in those extra hours, yeah. and and it's really paying off. Those it's, videos are great. I appreciate it. It's been fun, and uh, yeah, it's a little bit extra work, but uh, but it's it's a lot of fun, and I hope people are checking it out. Yeah, because if you want to see some really amazing, exotic, beautiful cars, things that you're probably not regularly going to see on the street, you need to check out that video series. Mm-hmm. As for tech stuff, if you have any suggestions for future topics or guests or interview subjects, anything at all, you just have a comment about this episode, send it to me. My email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. The handle at all three is techstuffhsw, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 